the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red flood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, the winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Prukop to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans, from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the See You at the Game website and your host for the See You at the Game podcast. So, did you take CU in the over six weeks ago? Vegas prognosticators had CU at 3.5 wins on the season. So if you bet on your buffs and took the over, you can cash in your ticket just midway through the 2023 campaign as the Buffs traveled to Tempe and came home with win number four, taking out Arizona State 27-24. I am joined for this podcast by Neil Langland, and we'll present our review of the ASU game using categories of excellent, satisfactory, and needs improvement to sift through yet another comeback win in the first year of the Coach Prime era. We will then turn our attention to the upcoming Friday the 13th matchup against Stanford. Our tips will take you through the categories of talent, intangibles, preparation, and statistics before giving you our predictions for the game against the Cardinal. So, will the bye week for Stanford before facing the Buffs prove to be a positive for the Cardinal as it did for the CSU Rams a few weeks ago? Can the Buffs find a way to exploit one of the worst pass defenses in the country? Will the Buffs, a double-digit favorite for the second time this season, take care of business early against Stanford? Or will this be another fourth-quarter nail-biter for the Buff Nation? Let's find out. Okay. And we are back, and I am joined by Neil, downtown Denver Langland. How is Neil doing this evening? Kind of enjoying the very nice fall weather here. Amazingly, Larimer Square is hopping. It's um, kind of a nice place to spend a nice fall evening. And I am um, thanking the football gods for delivering us once again from the jaws of defeat. <laughs> where, where we've been, we've been Jonah. We've been inside the the belly of the whale for a long time. If you would, the jaws yeah. of defeat. Missing in action once again is Brad Geiger. I thought he was just boycotting us for CU losses, but uh, not with us even after a win. So we're just going to have to soldier on between the two of us. So. Neil, we're going to talk first about the Arizona State game, a 27-24 Colorado victory. Uh, last second, last-minute field goal by Alejandro Mata, the Pac-12 Special Teams Player of the Week. So, Neil, you know, running the gambit on some of the message boards, would you put yourself in the giddy category that the Buffs are 4-2? and two? considering the over-under in Las Vegas for the season win total was 3.5? Or are you on the pitchforks, get rid of the defensive coordinator, and find us a new offensive line grouping that thinks that CU is destined for a lousy second half and we should be all upset that the Buffs didn't blow out Arizona State in Tempe? Well, I have to say that while I may, may be mildly giddy, I am 
comparing the last 20 some years with a couple of exceptions with what we've seen so far this year, so far above my expectations really. And so surprising and pleasing in so many ways that I am very happy with the way this team is going. I think it's a bit much to expect a championship level roster overhaul in one year or one fraction of a year. So I think that everyone has done very well and worked as much out of players and coaches under the current circumstances as possible. Uh, I find that the coaches are setting a good tone. Coach Prime uh, in his press conference after the ASU game, I think is setting, saying the right things to the fan base and to the team is that, well, we won this one, but we're, we're not playing well. We've got to go back to work. And I think that's what fans need to understand and adjust expectations and be thankful for what we've done so far and the pleasure and fun that it has been watching this team for a change. Yeah, it's a treat to have a, a team that competes and competes in the fourth quarter and overcomes adversity. We've grown accustomed to having teams that fall behind early. We've grown accustomed to teams that make mistakes and have penalties and give up big plays, but we're not accustomed to having a, a team that uh, finds a way to win. And I'm with you. I I can't imagine if you'd offered us four and two right now, if you'd offered us three and three, considering we played three ranked teams in the first half of the season, we'd probably be pretty excited because that would mean wins over Arizona State and rivals Nebraska and Colorado State. So the TCU wins, losing a little bit of its luster with TCU struggling this year. I think they're three and three at this point, but still a win over ranked team, a win over ranked team on the road for a huge national audience. Never going to say no to that. So I, I agree. It's uh, so much fun having a fun team to talk about and positive things to look forward to in the future. So let's break down the Arizona State game a little bit. For those of you who are new to the podcast, we give it elementary school report cards. We have the category of excellent, what might have been just considered satisfactory. And then since we don't give Fs in elementary school, what needs improvement? So let's start with the excellent category, Neil. What uh, from the ASU game would you break into or put into the category of excellent from what you saw last Saturday? Let's start with the offense. I think the QBs, our QB, Shadur Sanders, if we have a win above replacement type statistics, such as uh, the sabermetrics folks in baseball, whatever the maximum score is, he would get it. Uh, without him, we're two and four, one and five, I think. Uh, he has been the difference maker. And it's hard to imagine any quarterback currently in the college game doing as much with what he has to work with as Shador Sanders, just his achievements. He is also willful. He is an, an intelligent, calm quarterback. He is tough as nails. I enjoyed watching him hammer that linebacker on one of his scrambles. Yeah. Uh, to me, he was kind of out of sorts with getting hit and wanted to deliver a blow finally. And that's just the kind of competitor he is. And I'm hoping that that is contagious with the rest of the team. I'm hard to imagine it being any better. Yeah. I, I remember that. I think in my game story, I, I kind of put in that, that Shadur Sanders just decided to take over. You know, he had the, the one scramble and where you say, you know, he did that in the next play was a run or the, that was the play he had to run on and got the targeting penalty, added 15 yards to it. He's like, okay, enough of this. I'm going to put the team on my shoulders and we're going to go out and win this freaking game. So Shadur Sanders is, well, when we get to the stats part, go through some of the numbers that he's putting up. are going to be, he's going to be all over the CU single season record book by the time we get to game 12 if, the Buffs can keep him healthy. 
I put a couple of things in the excellent category. I borrow from what you've mentioned before, resiliency. Again, it's amazing to have this team have comebacks, which is not something we're used to seeing. And the other thing I put in the excellent category is the, I just, you know, next man up that each week, it seems like there's a new player that has a big game for the buffs. You know, you think back to the first game against TCU at Dylan Edwards. Yes, he was a four star. Yes, he was a former Notre Dame commit and everything, but he had a game uh, against TCU. And then somebody named Tavarish Dawson didn't think much of him, don't much about him. You know, started in the Nebraska game, walk on tight end Michael Harrison stepped up against Colorado State, had big catches, couldn't have won the game without him, literally. And then you get Omari and Miller another freshman of the week against USC. And then Giovanna Antonio had what, I think three catches for 42 yards coming into the game and then had five catches for over 80 yards, a touchdown. And the, of course, the big 43-yard catch in the last minute to set up the winning field goal. So we thought about, we were concerned about depth going into the season. And, you know, most of the starters in the defensive backfield have been hurt. And we've had people step up, maybe not quite as talented as a Travis Hunter or something like that, but they've made plays and certainly gives you hope for the future with that much in the backup category, because we are concerned that, you know, we might have a good starting 22, but we might not have much behind it. And the Buffs and their coaching staff have proven us wrong, that there is some depth to this team which certainly bodes well for the future, if not the last six games of the 2023 season. So uh, moving on to just satisfactory, I don't have to say just satisfactory, but what was uh, what was good for you what was within the realm of maybe not as excellent, but uh, did their job? What was satisfactory for you for Colorado in the Arizona State game? Well, I think the wide receivers as a group especially with Antonio, which, by the way, you heard here first on the See You at the Game podcast, we talked about him at the beginning of the season being an asset on the goal line, uh, having a big body, and being able to screen out defenders. And that worked perfectly on his touchdown catch. Exactly. We had receivers scoring a touchdown on a reverse, on a running play. So their versatility um, is amazing. Plus, while they didn't have a lot of space or great windows for Shadur to throw to. They got up and open when they had to, made catches when they had to. They blocked well uh, when they had to. And I, I was very pleased with that. And along with what you were saying about depth, just surprising. It's going to be amazing who steps forward this next week and then the one after that. So they're a fun group to watch. Yeah. I could have put a surprising group in the satisfactory category, I actually put the defense, the much maligned defense, the defense that's giving up many points and many yards. The 24 points were the second lowest, lowest total of the season, and there's only seven points given up in the second half. It was a 17-14 game, and that seven points came in the you know the final minute the Buffs have been starting two freshmen at cornerback. Uh, Carter Stoutmeyer came back to start. And you've got, of course, Cormani McLean that's had to step up. Uh, Might have not have been ready, even though he's a five-star. Uh, Omarion Cooper has obviously done very well. But, you know, you're having freshmen starting in defensive backfield. 392 total yards. But... It was less than 300 until the last couple of minutes of the game. So the defense wasn't great, but made plays when they had to. And, yeah, it's not great, but I think if you give Buff fans 24 points a game against the rest of the season, the next six games, if that was the average, I think we take it in a heartbeat. So not great. But getting better, or at least did well enough to uh, give the Buff offense a chance to win the game. And to your point, uh, what we saw in the pass rush 
and that includes uh, down linemen as well as edge and linebackers, uh, actually putting pressure on the quarterback. Um, yeah. You know, four, four rushers beating five linemen. We had five sacks, I think, and others. Yeah, five, all in the second half, you know. So they changed the schemes, and I think that's going to lead right into my needs improvement part of it. But I'll let you let you go first. The uh, Buffs were a significant favorite. Well, I'm not a significant favorite, you know, between four and a half to six points, depending on which uh, betting website you were looking at, that the Buffs were favored to win and squeaked by the University of Colorado. It's only this, it's the first time CU's had two road wins since 2020. And that, of course, is the COVID year when there are no fans in the stands, so it's hard to really call those road games. Otherwise, it's the first time CU's had two road wins in a season since the 10-win season in 2016. So, and again, we're just halfway through the season. So, uh, pretty amazing stuff that the Buffs are putting together. And, yeah, the defensive effort certainly stepped up in the second half. So, that being said, Buff fans were chewing their nails, pacing, whatever it is that Buff fans do in close games. Didn't lead until the fourth quarter. So what did you put in the needs improvement category for the Buffs after the Arizona State game? Well, this is tough, trying to compute a weighted average uh, for special teams. And I'm sorry, this is kind of low-hanging fruit. But see if I can kind of talk about this in a slightly different way. There were great performances there. I would I would put Mata. I hope that's the correct pronunciation. I think I've been butchering it up to this point. My apologies. Um, two clutch field goals, the difference in the game. Arizona's kicker missed one that would have tied the game. I mean, yeah, we we need that. Our punter shanked one, but he had others of 59 and 60 yards that flipped the fields, gave right. us a good position. And I think both of those guys should be commended. They're at least satisfactory if not excellent. However, uh, well, excuse me, let me add, punt return team. We right. actually had a long punt return that set us up for a score. Uh, we haven't had much of that yet. All three of those are, are terrific. What I really have a problem with is our kickoffs. We can't seem to find a guy that can do the two things necessary of a kickoff guy, which is number one, keep it in bounds, Yes. And two, uh, put it in the end zone. So yeah. I'm not sure what it is, but that is a dangerous way to live because it gives the offensive team 15 yards from where the ball was kicked. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And we can't tolerate that. We have to fix that. And that could lose a game for us. Okay. Yeah, free real yeah. estate, yeah, for the opposition. And they were having, it was, you know, it's a walk-on. It wasn't Feely, it wasn't Mata. It was the walk-on that was trying to kick off. So I don't know if Feely was hurt and not able to even try kickoffs or what the deal was. But, yeah, it's definitely uh, an area of concern going forward that they can't find somebody to kick the ball through the end zone. That, yeah, you and I can't do it. We can't kick a 20-yard field goal, but we're also not on the team specializing in that duty. So you think there's somebody in the world that could do that on a regular basis, you know, like Cole Becker, you never had to worry about a kickoff return because it was just a question of whether or not you put it through the uprights on the kickoff. So, yeah, uh, special teams, definitely a mixed bag. Nice to have a punt return. Would have been nice if Shiloh Sanders had tried to block the punter instead of looking back to see where Xavier Weaver was because if he put anything close to a hand on the punter, Weaver would have had a a punt return for a touchdown instead of getting tackled 25 yards out and see you ending up settling for a field goal. But yeah, kicking the ball out of bounds on the, on the kickoff, that's just something that you can't have needs improvement. I had a couple of things. One that the first drive of the game, the Arizona state drove down. It looked like the CSU game all over again. It was just crossing pattern, crossing pattern, crossing pattern. Now there was adjustments that were made because Arizona State didn't wasn't able to pull that off the rest of the game. But the first drive of the game, it was it was 
frustratingly similar to the Colorado State game where they just kept running across the middle and Cormani McLean, number one, was just chasing wide receivers across the field. To that end, one thing I'd put under needs improvement is lose the coin toss. Colorado is six for six on coin tosses, one each time. I put it in some of the stuff I've written that when you're playing against other teams and you know that your offense is the best unit you have, CU won the toss against Oregon, deferred. Oregon went down, scored 7-0 before CU took the field. CU won the toss against USC, deferred. USC went down, scored a touchdown before CU ever got the ball. Arizona State, CU won the toss, deferred. Sun Devils went down, scored a touchdown. So you're, you're, you're not even let Shadur Sanders take the field without being behind. So if you win the toss, I know it's against convention to take the ball instead of uh, defer to the second half. But those same three games, I mean, he was behind Oregon 35 to nothing. What was it like 35 to 14, 34 to 14 against USC? Down 17-14 and went three and out. First drive of the second half against Arizona State. Take the freaking ball. Put your best unit on the field. You have your you know first 10 plays scripted, whatever the case might be. Go out there, let Shadur do his thing. So I'm hoping that Stanford wins the toss and defers and takes it out of our hands. But if he wins the toss, how about this? Let's try taking the ball instead of deferring to the second half. Stu, can I add something to that? Um, yeah. It's a bit of a dilemma because CU's offense, we can't seem to, to get it started. It's like probably trying to start your car on a 40-degree morning in, in Montana, but we've got to find a better way to do that. So here's my idea is that we have, you know, as most teams do, scripted plays. Well, instead of just the standard stuff, come out and be a little adventurous, you know, a halfback pass. How about some patterns that we haven't seen before? We always have new stuff for each game. Throw some of those in, in the first series and see if you can at least change field position, if not get down to a score. So I'm with you. Let's try it. We've got nothing to lose, really. And with yeah. Stanford, be a safe opponent to try it against. Yeah. Well, excellent segue. Good job, Neil. So moving on to our preview for CU's upcoming game, 8 p.m. Mountain Time, ESPN, Friday night, Friday the 13th. Wondering what the students will become dressed up as, but should be fun for the student section to have a 8 p.m. kickoff on Friday the 13th. The Stanford Cardinal coming to town with a one and four record beat Hawaii on the road in the opener of lost four straight, including a loss to Troy Taylor, head coach Troy Taylor's previous job. He was a head coach, a successful head coach at Sacramento State. And one of their losses this year, as fate would have it, they had Sacramento State on the calendar and the Hornets won in Palo Alto. They've played at home the last three games. They haven't been on the road for a while, but they're coming to Boulder. So what we do for our preview, we divide it into four categories, our tips for the game. That would be talent, intangibles, preparation, and statistics. So we'll start with the talent for the Stanford Cardinal. What did you see there from a team that, uh, well, see you lost to Oregon 42 to six, then Stanford the following week, the last game they played, they lost to Oregon. Wait for it, 42 to 6. So what do you uh, take from your review of what Stanford has to offer in terms of offense and what their attack might look like on Friday night? So maybe the best way to relate to Stanford of 23 is to consider the CU Buffaloes in 21 and 22. Seem to be lacking speed. They seem to be lacking athleticism at the skilled positions, the wide receiver in the backs. The running backs are, are larger than ours on the most part. They look 
like they're trying to do the power running game, which their offensive line, their starters, looking at their depth chart, they're bigger than our line, than, excuse me, our O line and um, much larger than our D line. So they may have the ability to run on CU. CU's running defense is really not very good anyway. So I think we can expect, you know, a slight talent advantage to Stanford in the trenches on offense. Against our D-line, I think that we probably have more athletic players than their uh, offensive line. So we may be able to do something in the passing game with the pass rush. I'm looking forward to more sacks. I think we have the speed to do that. There seems to be some, how should I say, quite ordinary quarterback play. Uh, don't really have a, a talent such as we've been seeing up to this point. All the quarterbacks we've seen so far have been have played very well against CU. Um, I'm not expecting that this time. Um, I think our wide receivers are going to match up very well with the Stanford secondary. So overall, a talent edge to CU. Um, and I'm hoping that we're able to exploit that starting early. Yeah. Well, just some names for folks to keep an eye out for. You talked about the, the quarterback position. And yes, this is definitely one where CU has a decided advantage. If you mentioned, you know, like CU the last couple of years, they went into fall camp with four different quarterbacks. They had no presumed starter. They had no idea what they were doing. They've had a couple of different players start. Ashton Daniels has started. Justin Lamson has started the last couple of games. But his stat line against Oregon, 11 for 20 for 106 yards. Um, Ashton Daniels did come in and see some action in that game. So coming off of a bye week, who knows? They might try something completely different. But those are the two quarterbacks that have at least had starts so far. The rushing attack, they – you know, CU, which has a pedestrian rushing attack, at least has two rushers over 200 yards for the season. Anthony Hankerson and Dylan Edwards are both over 200 yards. Stanford doesn't have anybody over 200 yards yet. Uh, Casey Thokens at 197, EJ Smith 160. Of course, they played one fewer game. They played five. But uh, rushing attack that's Somewhat better, I think it's because there's so many sack yards for losses that CU has on its rushing ledger, but not a super great rushing attack. One name you want to care, you know, keep an eye out for would be senior tight end Benjamin Urosik. Uh, He's leading the team with catches, 15 for 227 and a touchdown. Colorado, as we all know, has suffered, struggled against good tight ends in the past. You know, it's always something that CU, CSU seems to have is a tight end that can catch the ball. Nebraska likes to play that way. You know, that we've come up against a lot of teams that have tight ends, and that's a player that you might want to keep an eye out for. The leading wideout, last name, Ayumaner. Um, But again, he's not as talented as what we've seen from our own buffs. Yeah, offensively, you know, Stanford's 100th in total offense, 117th in scoring, or less than 20 points a game. And the defense is what you expect from a 1-4 team. Not very good. Now, some of their numbers are skewed by the 42-6 beat down by Oregon. They also lost to USC 56-10. So some of the numbers are a little bit skewed at this point. But again, this is also a team that lost to Sacramento State. So why is CU four and two and Stanford one and four? Uh, I think we've already touched on it several times already in this podcast. We've certainly touched on it all six games. Shadur Sanders. CU has a Shadur Sanders and Stanford doesn't. So talent wise, yeah, there's some areas where they're a little bit better, some layers are a little bit deeper, but it's also a first year head coach with a bunch of new players, new system. And it's so far playing out pretty much as expected. This was a team, even the PAC 12 media thought was worse than Colorado. So he was picked to be 11th in the conference. Stanford was picked to be 12th. So 
Are there any intangibles that uh, go into the eye category, any intangibles that you can see that will factor into how this game might play out? Well, I'm not sure if this goes to prep or intangibles, but I think traveling on a short week for Stanford, that has to hurt. Coming to altitude and playing at night, probably going to be a little difficult for them. It's hard to imagine what their motivation might be at this point in the season because they've not done well. And they seem like a program that's drifting, that's, if anything, on a downward trajectory. And they're coming into a team that's um, on the upswing. So I think if we think about emotional advantage, it goes to CU, especially with the home crowds that have been at Folsom so far this year. I think the post-game interview, the USC coach, after their game, he complimented the crowd, saying it was a lively and difficult atmosphere. And I think that helps the team. So I think we have, excuse me, a definite advantage playing this home game and being, how should I say, a team that is working toward what it can be and forming an identity. And Stanford is, seems like they've just been cut adrift. They're a lifeboat out in the ocean, out in the middle of the ocean. Yeah, I think that you're right that this is a team that, yeah, is struggling and isn't going anywhere. They know they're not going anywhere. I think that the, you know, the beat down by USC, the 56 to 10 game, followed the next week by losing to Sacramento State. When you've got a program and a Pac-12 conference this year that, you know, is just completely dominated by ranked teams, if you can't beat an FCS school, then where are you going to win? So, you remember, again, look at the message boards about the Arizona State game. There was lots of discussion. It's like, well, if you can't beat Arizona State, you might as well just give up for the rest of the season. Well, yeah, if you're Stanford, if you can't beat Sacramento State, then who on your schedule are you going to look for in terms of victories? And certainly Sac State is a good FCS school. It plays in the Big Sky Conference. They started out the season 12-0 and last year. They lost in the first round of the FCS playoffs. They were upset, but it's a really good team. This team, Sacramento State, they beat up on four, they beat up on the Rams last year. They won and went to Fort Collins and won forty-one to ten. So this is not a bad FCS program, and of course the players that were left would certainly be motivated to go up against their former coach, but. Yeah, if you can't beat the FCS school, it's 30 to 23. That's got to be a a real gut shot to the program when you're trying to rebuild. And you know it's a rebuild, but maybe if you lose to an FCS school. And to be fair, those of us go back to 2012, Sacramento State came to Boulder, beat the Buffs 30 to 28. I remember that game all too well. So, you know, he was certainly not immune to it, but Again, if you think back to the 2012, that was one of the worst seasons in CU history before 2022. So, yeah, in terms of emotion, it's going to be tough for Stanford to look at the rest of their schedule and say, yeah, we're still fighting for a bowl bid. We're still fighting for a winning season. Just like CU fans were a year ago. You try and hope for a one or so upset somewhere along the way, but you're not planning on it. Moving to the P part, the preparation, Stanford is coming off a bye. So it's a short week, but it's not, a sh- it's a shorter week for Colorado coming back, you know, late Saturday night from Tempe. Stanford's been sitting around. They haven't been on the road since September 10th and they won't go on the road again until November 4th. So this is their one road game in almost two full months. So if you have a bye week, you can come up with some different things. True. 
you know, you think that they're going to come in with some trick plays, come in with some new renewed enthusiasm. I mean, look at Colorado 2022, worst team in FBS, bye week, fire coach, come out and win the only game of the season. So anything in the preparation or schedule that you looked at that uh, you think might have an influence on the outcome? You raise a good point about the bye week. That does allow a team to rest up. Uh, to recharge, kind of refocus, maybe take a couple of days off and just come back and be fresh. Uh, definitely helps Stanford. And the travel, playing at altitude, it may affect them not until the third or fourth quarter. And since it's at night, it's not going to be real, real warm, which is always helpful for CU teams. You know, I don't see that their preparation is going to be that difficult for CU with the exception of they have to prepare for so many different wide receivers because we've had, as you mentioned, a new hero every week. And uh, certainly having that kind of depth at wide receiver is a big benefit. And I, I think that they're gonna have to devise some combination of zone and man for those guys to match up with our receivers. So they'll probably have not just some offensive plays, but probably new defensive looks. I think they're going to try to really challenge Shadur to read their new defensive schemes. And I think that's the best they can do is come up with some new defensive rotations and combination coverages that may stall CU for a while. But I think the halftime adjustments that CU makes probably will be more than enough for CU to, to overcome whatever Stanford has in its bag. Yeah. Well, the only thing I had under preparation, it kind of goes back to the intangibles, kind of goes back to the idea of, you know, getting up for games that Stanford is one in four after playing Colorado, hit their midway point, their last six games, they play UCLA and Washington, go on the road to play Washington State and Oregon State, then finish up at home against Notre Dame and then Cal. So for those of you scoring at home, that's five ranked teams and the rivalry game against Cal. So if you're a one in four team and you're looking for a victory, probably the best last chance at a win now the cal game we'll see everybody's doing in late november maybe cal will be phoning it in by that point too but if i'm a stanford fan and i'm looking for pac-12 victory number one and potentially only victory number two of the season colorado's kind of have to be it wouldn't it i mean that's uh even though the buffs are four and two and playing well comparatively, it certainly had to be a game on their schedule that they were circling and thinking, especially coming off a of bye week, that this may be our last best chance at a win in 2022. So let's throw the kitchen sink at them. That sound like a, a reasonable hypothesis for how the Stanford coaches and players might be approaching the game on Friday? Certainly they have not done well running standard schemes. So it's time to, I think, open up the playbook and see how the team adapts to new schemes, the Stanford players, and just to try to make it a little more fun because having been on teams like Stanford's, not in terms of the academics, but losing teams, it gets hard to slog through a season when it's not going well. And coaches have to come up with all sorts of tricks to try to keep their team focused, engaged, motivating, and ready to play. Yeah. I mean, we were even talking about it being a year zero for Coach Prime, you know, that going to the Big 12 next year with all the changeover, with all the roster upheaval and new coaches, new schemes, that Coach Prime would kind of get a bye week or bye year. Well, Troy Taylor, just like Kenny Dillingham down at Arizona State, the three first-year head coaches in the Pac-12, 
you know, the fan base, certainly the administration, are going to give Troy Taylor a year zero before they head off to play, wait for it, the ACC. So not that the seniors or the grad students on the team are going to want to mail it in, but for a lot of the players, this is, okay, we're going to try some new things. We're going to absorb some hits, but it really doesn't count. It's just year zero. Let's see what he does after a full year, get a bunch of his guys in there since Stanford can't rely on the transfer portal like other schools. And, yeah, it's, it's a halfway mark for their season, but, yeah, it might be getting to the point where they're playing for themselves and maybe playing to transfer somewhere else if playing time is more important than a Stanford degree. So we'll we'll see what sort of motivation they have and see if uh, see you can get up early, whether or not they want to keep playing or if they want to try and figure out the math as to when they can get back, you know, early Saturday morning to Palo Alto and sit back and watch game day when they get up the next morning. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, the last category is S for statistics. Any uh, stats that stood out for you in terms of what we might be looking for um, that might make a difference one way or the other? Well, um, I think I've got a couple that I really like, and I'll leave those toward the end. But let's look at total offense for Stanford. They're ranked 100. For rushing offense, they're 72nd. And for passing offense, they're 103rd. Their defense ranked 120th, their run defense 67th, and their passing yards allowed. This is one of the good stats. 128th at 365 per game. Now, let's go over CU's numbers. Um, their total offense is 50th. We've had a couple tough games in there but we may be at the point where we can improve some of our numbers. Our rushing offense is terrible and Stanford's run defense is not bad. Their passing off, our passing offense is eighth at 337 per game. Total defense for CU is 127. And that indicates we might be seeing a bit of a track meet. Our rush defense is 94th and they do have that bigger offensive line. But here's the one I really like is our passing offense is eighth against the passing yards allowed for Stanford at 130th. So this could be the Shador Sanders 500 yard passing game. Yeah, uh, that's what stood out to me as well. The discrepancy there. Neither team is good in total defense. Like you mentioned that they're 120th, CU's 127th in total defense, and they're about equal, 120th in scoring defense, and the Buffs are 119th in scoring defense. But, yeah, Stanford doesn't have the offense, and Colorado potentially does have the offense. Now, that being said, that's, you know, the same Buff team that only had 295 yards against Arizona State, which has a, had a middle-of-the-road defense, not a great defense. You know, is that the team that's going to show up, or is it the team that had 564 yards of total offense against USC? If you see the offense that played in the second half against USC, then Stanford's not going to be able to keep up. But if it's the three and out offense that you saw the first half against USC, the first half against Oregon, the first half against Arizona State, then that means Stanford might be able to stay in the game and make it interesting, at least give them some mental momentum to, you know, to keep playing hard. I had a couple of stats that stood out to me, or at least I think might have a factor in the game. One would be turnovers. CU didn't have a turnover against Arizona State. Buffs have eight interceptions, which is tied for the lead in Pac-12, even after having none against Arizona State. Still in the top half of the league with fumble recoveries. But Arizona State came into the into the game last week dead last in the nation in turnover margin, and CU didn't pick up a single turnover. Now, there's a lot of factors that go into turnovers, but if CU can pick up a turnover to have a short field against this defense, yeah, it could be the Sugar Sanders show. 
The other one is just discipline. I hate to keep harping on it, but Colorado and penalties seem to go hand in hand. The Buffs are 126th in the nation in penalties per game. And, you know, about the same, I think, 119th in the nation in yard, penalty yardage. And it's just like the kickoffs. You can't have the team starting at the 35-yard line for every drive. You know, you just have to have fewer penalties. That's just the nature of that beast. The only other thing I'm going to start doing in terms of stats, and we call it the Shadur Sanders Records Watch, and we can do this every week for the rest of the season because we're halfway through the season and he's already well into the single-season record books. Passing touchdowns for the first six games, he's already tied for 12th on the all-time list for an entire season. Uh, the school record, Cepho Lufau, 28 in 2014, so that's certainly within his sights. Passing yards, he's just over 2,000, 20th on the all-time single season. 3,200 is the record, Cepho Lufau, 2014. So he, if he does the next six games like he did the first six games, he's going to beat the all-time single season record for passing at Colorado by 800 yards. Passing attempts, he's right about, he's at 15th on the list right now, 256, the record 498. So he's right about on pace with Seppo's 2014 season. Passing completions, he's a little over half. He's got 186. Seppo's record's 325. And one record, if he just maintains what he's doing, he's completing passes 72.7% of the time. The school record is 68.4, set by Coy Detmer in 1995. So he's already, if he doesn't pass another single pass, hopefully he won't get injured, but he's already passing at a rate that would make him number one in completion percentage for a single season in CU history. So I don't know if we can emphasize it enough. You just got to keep an eye on Shadur Sanders and just enjoy that. It's been so long since quarterbacks have been a net positive for the Buffs going into games. You know, it was last week. Colorado had a better quarterback. Colorado won the game. This weekend, Colorado's a better quarterback. Colorado's favored by, I believe, the last time I looked, it was 11 and a half points. So let's segue from that into your prediction for the game. So, again, CU's favored by, we'll say, 11.5 points against Stanford. How do you see the, the game unfolding, and what do you would be the prediction for the score from you? Stu, as much as I would like to see the Buffs start fast, I'm not sure they're going to be able to do that, even against Stanford, and with all the advantages that CU has Friday night. I suspect that... Shadur Sanders is going to face the usual fierce pass rush. They have a guy that already has four sacks, does Stanford. I think CU will come alive in the second half and light it up. But they're going to score, I think, 35. For Stanford, they don't really have anything distinctive on offense. And they have some vulnerabilities in their defense, particularly the pass beat. CU's going to be able to score quickly, but also to go on longer drives and occupy the clock. I think Stanford scores 17 at the absolute outside. So I'm going 35-17 bucks. Wow. Okay. Well, um, I'd be tempted to say great minds think alike, but I don't think anybody would buy that between the two of us. And again, you know, for anybody that's listening, we don't confer, we don't compare notes before we go on air. What I had, I had Stanford at 17, as you did. They're averaging 19 point something, under 20 points a game. So I think 17 is a good number to try and hold them to. I had a Colorado 31, Stanford 17. So we're both seeing it kind of the same way, not quite as high scoring as these porous defenses might suggest because the offenses don't seem to take advantage of 
defenses as much as they should. But, yeah, I think that Colorado should be able to cover the spread. I'd like it to be 45 to 14, but I'm still suffering from scars from previous decades of being a Buff fan. So I'm not in a position to predict games like that at this point. So I think 31-17 cover the spread. Not that I'm anyone's betting on this. This is for entertainment purposes only, as they would say. But I think that the Buffs should be able to, if not comfortably win, at least give fans in the stands and watching on television on ESPN the, the feeling that they're in control throughout the game. That would certainly be my hope for, for Friday night. So uh, just a little program note with CU having a bye week after the Stanford game. We're also going to take a bye week here on the podcast, and we'll be coming back to you the Tuesday of the UCLA game. So it'll be two weeks from the release of this podcast, and we'll be talking about not only the UCLA preview, we'll talk a little bit about Stanford, but it'll be in our rearview mirror at that point. Uh, so we'll do kind of a first half recap. We'll be seven games in, but we'll take a look at uh, how we look at maybe grayed out offense, defense, special teams, coaching, national perception, run in some different categories, try and look back at best we can as to what we were looking at back in August and hoping for back in August and what we're looking at in mid-October. So hopefully we'll have Mr. Brad Geiger back with us in full voice. And if not, Neil, I hope you'll be with me and we will we will do this again in two weeks. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for being here. Thanks for having me, Stu. Had a great time as always. Hope you guys, hope everyone enjoys the podcast. Thank you both for listening to the podcast and for being a member of the Buff Nation. I hope you are subscribing to the podcast so you won't miss any of the upcoming episodes. We have partnered with Mile High Sports and are pleased to be part of their podcast network. As always, you can find the See What the Game podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and other podcast sites. Or, if you're not a fan of downloading podcasts, all of the episodes can be listened to at the See with the Game website. I'll be back in two weeks with Neil and Brad, and we will give you our review of the Stanford game, our mid-season report card for your buffs, and give you a preview of CU's last trip to the Rose Bowl, at least as a member of the Pac-12, with the buffs traveling to Pasadena to face UCLA. Until then, be well, stay safe, and go bus. Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to See you at the game at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game.